Today's episode of the Watson Weekly Podcast is sponsored by Commerce Tools. The world of commerce is fast-paced and constantly changing. Commerce Tools, the global leader in commerce and creator of the powerfully composable mock architecture, enables commerce leaders to turn possibilities into reality. Commerce Tools helps businesses go from underperforming to overachieving, and from keeping up to setting the pace, all at a lower total cost. Go to commercetools.com to learn how to get started. It's September 4th, 2023, and this is the Watson Weekly, your essential e-commerce digest. Today on our show, Gartner releases its digital commerce magic quadrant. Sheehan and Forever 21 build a partnership. Learning from Instacart's IPO filing. Clavio's IPO sets the bar for profitable software companies. And finally, the Investor Minute, which contains five items this week from the world of venture capital, acquisitions, and IPOs. But first in our shopping cart full of news, Gardner releases its digital commerce magic quadrant. Platform vendor evaluation is one of the most complex jobs a retailer or brand will tackle for their digital roadmap. This exercise has at least a few distinct phases, deciding when your current situation has reached its end, where you are headed next, and most importantly, the change management in between. Recently, Gartner released its digital commerce magic quadrant, which was introduced in the 80s and 90s to provide an overview of a particular market segment, in this case, e-commerce platforms. My big beef with the Magic Quadrant overall is that it presupposes that each vendor wants to build a suite of all the things. Frankly, if you ask this observer, and really no one did, the Quadrant is a little out of step with its pragmatic composability message. I wanted to provide a phrase from the report from the point of view of each vendor who made that happy Quadrant. Adobe, Experience Manager and Analytics Focus. Commerce Tools, Large Enterprises. Salesforce, Buy extra licenses. SAP, Monolith. Shopify, Innovation. VTEX also narrowly missed the quadrant this time, but I'll give them an honorable mention here for being on the line. As far as requests for proposal or RFPs overall, given the volume out there, it must be RFP season as we're starting to inch towards fall and companies think about their 2024 roadmap. What advice for brands and retailers doing an evaluation is not to compare static lists of features. Watch the motion instead. What do I mean? It's nonsensical to make a 7-10 to year decision based on a particular set of features you value at any given time. As part of your decision making, think about these three items. First, the platform meets all your basic security, data, and functionality requirements. Second, Best-in-class ISV partners are available and integrations to them are commonplace. Third, the list of system integrators is plentiful, referenceable, and experienced. It also helps if there are several of them at each level, including complex, middle, and simple, so you can find ones that meet your needs. Another piece of advice, if you're having your existing system integrator run your RFP, I'll just go ahead and say that you're likely not really running an RFP. Instead, you are more likely a part of a sales process by a primary vendor favored by the SI, which is pretty easily discoverable. Selecting the system integrator first is the same as tilting the scales. Instead, choose the platform and SI as a matched pair. 
As part of this consideration, ensure that your ISV ecosystem partners match that pair as well. Our second story. Sheehan and Forever 21 build a partnership. The Wall Street Journal reported that online fast fashion retailer Sheehan assigned a partnership agreement with Spark Group, the owner of Forever 21. Who is Spark Group? It's a little complex to understand, but let me try and break it down. Spark Group is a global full-service retail firm that manufactures, distributes, and operates retail and e-commerce properties for major brands like Forever 21, Lucky Brand, and Eddie Bauer. Spark Group has historically been a 50-50 partnership between two major firms, Authentic Brands Group and Simon Properties. Authentic Brands Group is an IP licensing firm which owns the brand and collects royalties from owning the intellectual property and the brand from its partners. And Simon Properties, which is a real estate investment trust owning major malls globally. So what happened with Sheehan? A partnership that looks like a two-way investment. Sheehan now owns one-third of Spark Group. Spark Group invested a minority share in Sheehan. What they say it means is that Sheehan can sell products it doesn't manufacture, presumably the brands managed by Spark Group and perhaps even the broader authentic brands group portfolio. Consumers will be able to return clothes purchased online at Sheehan at Forever 21 stores and perhaps other Spark Group-owned stores in the future. Forever 21 will have access to Sheehan's customer base and be able to market its clothes there. Not clear if this is through Sheehan's marketing channels in its marketplace or on its own. Jamie Salter, the owner of Authentic Brands Group, says that additional Spark Group brands will likely funnel through this partnership also. Spark Group and Forever 21 are also looking to learn from Sheehan and its real-time small batch manufacturing processes, which have been disrupting the industry over the past few years and significantly outgrowing the rest of the fast fashion industry. What do I think this partnership means? This is part of the legitimizing and de-risking of Sheehan who has been making moves to shake the slave labor claims. Plus, there's a lot of potential political risk in being a Chinese online retailer in the United States market. Giving U.S. companies a stake in Sheehan, Sheehan acquires a greater sense of legitimacy. Spark Group may also see Sheehan as a way to create the world's largest global fashion marketplace, which would be an interesting proposition. Authentic Brands Group, which owns part of Spark Group, makes money each time a sale happens or a new licensee signs up. This is about giving all the brands in the portfolio a multiplier effect. How can we turbocharge sales, encourage others to sign up, and take a piece of that too? I'll give Jamie Salter this. He's a smart one. This deal blunts a huge threat to the portfolio and creates a new business opportunity and potential revenue engine all at the same time. Our third story, learning from Instacart's S1 filing. Last week, Instacart filed its S1 document for its IPO, and I thought I would spend a little time unpacking it here. Instacart's products include its marketplace, the enterprise platform for retailers, and ads. Here are a few items that I thought were the most interesting from the filing. First, this is not just an IPO. It's also a private placement of stock to a strategic partner, Pepsi who agreed to invest $175 million in the company of their Series A stock. Previously, I thought Instacart might get acquired rather than go public, and they have split the difference here. This new stock issued to PepsiCo is senior to all common stock. PepsiCo seems like a great partner. 
Gross transaction volume, or GTV, was $28.8 billion in 2022 and is growing at 15.8% year-over-year. Notably, they are growing profit dollars much faster than transaction volume. That is about an 8.6% attach rate of revenue to GTV. Just to give you some comparison, Shopify right now is about a 3% attach rate, which gives you some idea of the leverage and power of advertising. This ratio is the key to the entire business. 2022 advertising revenue was $740 million, which grew 29% year-over-year. I was surprised at how small this number is compared to Amazon advertising business, which is about 50 times larger and growing almost as fast. I know I've said this before, but when most people talk about retail media, this is really shorthand for Amazon in my point of view. Instacart charged retailers and consumers a combined about 14.9% of the gross transaction value in 2022, and this ratio is growing. How long can this grow in a low-margin industry with inflation? Of course, Instacart turns around and gives some of that 14.9% right back to Instacart shoppers who earn about 8% of gross transaction value, not including tips. I would also say that the status of these shoppers and if they are or are not Instacart employees entitled to benefits could be a huge threat to the business model in the future. 2022 revenue was $2.5 billion, growing 38% year-over-year, up from 24% year-over-year prior. You know, the company achieved 72% gross margin, up from 66% the prior year. 2022 operating income loss was $86 million, and they grew operating expenses by 34% while growing revenue by 39% and profit dollars by 49%. The key for Instacart is to keep growing profit dollars. Their profitability so far seems tenuous. While Instacart is growing and has become profitable, there are still a number of risks out there for the firm, so it'll be interesting to watch going forward. And our last story. Klaviyo IPO sets the bar for profitable software companies. Well, it finally happened. One of the most anticipated IPO filings in the Shopify landscape, and I'm here for it, Watsonians. Klaviyo hopes to raise at least $750 million in capital for its initial public offering. The company most recently raised $320 million in its last funding round in 2021, which gave it a pre-money valuation of $9.15 billion. What are Klaviyo's key metrics? Here's some information based on the six months ending June 30, 2022. 1,548 employees, 130,000 customers, which is up from 105,000 customers in June of 2022. That's about a 24% year-over-year growth in customer count. They have $585 million in annual recurring revenue and $4,500 annual revenue per account. There's $7.9 million in operating income in the first half of 2023 and over 110% net recurring revenue retention. The company has raised $454 million over its history, but it's only said it's spent approximately $10 million of it. The company has a 14-month CAC payback period or cost of customer acquisition. How efficient and profitable is Clavio? Clavio's 38.6% sales and marketing as a percent of revenue did not happen overnight. As you can see, in 2021, this number was 53.8% of revenue, which is a serious problem. Going forward, the bid risk to Clavio is that it's, a lot of its revenue growth, or 58% of it, comes from existing customers and 42% from new customers. I expect the ratio to continue to favor existing customers more each year. 
Clavio's growth does appear to be decelerating, especially when you back out the effects of price increases, which it did in both 2022 and 2023. While it looks like 2023 growth so far was 54%, Clavio said that 15% of that growth was directly attributed to price increases. What does Clavio's global market engine look like? Clavio breaks down its market segments into three buckets. SMB is 100K to 20 million in sales. Mid-market is 20 million in sales to 400 million in sales. And enterprise is 400 million plus. These are very solid definitions and a useful starting point for any SaaS e-commerce founder looking to segment their market. Clavio primarily has a product-led growth motion that targets the chief marketing officer, chief customer officer, and other functional marketing leaders. To measure the effectiveness of its sales and marketing efforts, it measures net new annual recurring revenue, which is evenly distributed through these sales channels, inbound, outbound, and agency partnerships. Clavio estimates that these three sales channels contribute equally to Clavio's growth. This is a good rule of thumb for any SaaS company, and I've even seen partner-acquired sales reaching as much as 40 to 50% of ARR for other SaaS companies. Clavio reports that 10% of its new ARR was through its Shopify app store. Assuming that Clavio's inbound channels generate a third of net new ARR in a period, that means Clavio gets about one third of its inbound sales through app store installs on Shopify. This is a reminder not to maybe over-focus on the app store as a source of revenue. What's Clavio's relationship with Shopify? Well, to be honest, this relationship is quite complex. Let's start with some basics. Shopify owns 11.2% of Clavio, and Clavio's platform concentration is 77.5% Shopify. In July 2022, Clavio signed a strategic agreement with Shopify. Here are the terms of that agreement. Shopify must maintain Clavio as a Shopify Plus partner and promote Clavio as its recommended email provider for Shopify Plus merchants. Clavio got a $100 million investment from Shopify as part of this agreement. Shopify can purchase additional shares at a specified price until 2030. The agreement overall terminates in 2029 and Shopify cannot terminate for convenience. Here are the terms of Clavio's current agreement with Shopify. For Shopify Plus, Clavio must pay Shopify a monthly integration fee for each Shopify Plus merchant. For lower Shopify tiers, Clavio must pay Shopify a fixed percentage of revenue not greater than what Shopify charges other Shopify partners. Anyone familiar with Shopify's App Store pricing knows that the percentage of revenue is a normal model. Allowing Clavio to use the fixed amount per merchant per month is a discount for larger Shopify Plus customers and allows Clavio to grow these customers without paying more and more to Shopify. I do expect that Clavio's status as a recommended email provider for Shopify Plus is quite lucrative, particularly if you understand Clavio's land and expand strategy. You can compare these acquisition fees to the fees that Google pays to Apple for being the default search engine on Safari. What are Clavio's biggest opportunities going forward? The company has a lot of room to run within its existing retail and e-commerce vertical. Clavio's estimated service addressable market opportunity within this vertical is over $16 billion. They only have $585 million captured, which is about 3% of the market. Clavio believes that its platform applies to other verticals as well, including education, events, entertainment, restaurant, travel, and B2B. In the US, Clavio estimates its TAM and these verticals at $34 billion in the United States, which is, of course, this is all kind of theoretical. 
This does give Clavio a lot of room to run. However, not all elements are addressable. Both HubSpot and Salesforce are well-positioned in the B2B space. From my point of view, Clavio's easiest addressable growth opportunities in the market include, and in this order, penetration of new product offerings like SMS, reviews, and CDP into existing customers. SMS usage, for instance, is being used by 14.8% of customers as of June 2023, which is up from 8.5% at the end of 2021, which is steady progress. Second is SMB segments internationally. As of June 2023, 30% of Clavio's revenue is from non-US accounts. Mid-market segments in the United States and later internationally are next. And finally, new verticals that act similarly to e-commerce and retail are not well served by the competition. Enterprise segments in retail and e-commerce are probably last. What are my top takeaways from Clavio's S1 filing? First, Clavio has only spent $15 million to get to $585 million in ARR and an IPO filing. This is despite raising $454 million. Most of it has gone unused, which reflects a core Clavio value to remain capital efficient. Second, greater than 100% net revenue retention helps you grow faster. If you have a leaky bucket problem, you have a tough future as a SaaS business. Third, be willing to pay bounties to partners like agencies and platforms, especially if you can be named as a preferred provider of a valuable service. Fourth, Shopify has quite a complex relationship with Clavio, and many of these agreements for the service providers are about reducing their marketing costs to acquire customers as a percentage of their revenue. That in addition to the capital infusion. And finally, if you're considering going public as a service provider, Serious preparation is needed two to three years before getting the company in the right shape to be attractive to outside investments. This is different than acquiring customers at any cost. And lastly, I don't care who you are. It's extremely difficult to build a $500 million plus ARR business with metrics like these. Ultimate respect to these founders, Andrew Bialecki and Ed Hallen. Hey, Watsonians, did you know that Amazon UK customers will have to pay an extra fee on top of their Prime membership in order to get same-day service? If you were in our online community, you would. To stay on top of what's going on in e-commerce and join the conversation, visit community.rmwcommerce.com today. Now a word from our sponsor, Commerce Tools. When a multi-billion dollar beauty brand's e-commerce platform neared the end of its life, the entire business was at risk including the ability to serve customers. By switching to commerce tools and embracing a more flexible mock architecture, the retailer's vision for connecting in-store and personalized shopping experiences became a reality. The brand can now roll out new features within days, securing its position as a modern brand that uses technology to its advantage. If you're being held hostage by your technology platform and your developers have thrown up their hands, tell them to start a free trial at www.commercetools.com today. It's that time, friends, for our Investor Minute. We have five items on the menu today. First, brain health startup Mosh raises $3 million Series A. Mosh, a brain health brand that manufactures protein bars, raised a $3 million Series A, which will be used to enter retail locations. Maria Shriver and Patrick Schwarzenegger founded the company to create products to counteract dementia and other mental health conditions. Second, Beauty private label platform Blanca raises $2 million seed. Blanca, a B2B sourcing platform for North American-made beauty and wellness products, raised $2 million. 
This end-to-end solution enables entrepreneurs and brands to find great beauty products from local manufacturers without the need to travel. Third, HIG Capital acquires Ascent Global Logistics. An affiliate of private equity fund HIG Capital has acquired Ascent Global Logistics for an undisclosed amount from affiliates controlled by Elliott Investment Management. HIG Capital will support the company by growing its strategic carrier network through organic initiatives and acquisitions. Fourth, bankrupt online wholesaler Boxed acquired by MSG Distributors. Boxed, which filed for bankruptcy in April of 2023, has been acquired by regional distributor MSG Distributors for an undisclosed amount. The company acquired the intellectual property of a bankrupt business to quickly scale its operations. And finally, One World Sync acquires Power Reviews. One World Sync, a product content platform, acquired Power Reviews, which provides brands with ratings and reviews for an undisclosed amount. One World Sync claims to be the only platform that can now power all the elements of a product detail page for brands. Now I know what you're thinking. Power Reviews is still a thing? That's all for this week. Till next time, Watsonians. Hi, I'm Rick Watson, CEO and founder of RMW Commerce Consulting and host of the Watson Weekly Podcast, Your Essential E-Commerce Digest. Our production partner for the series is Citizen Racecar. The show is produced by Jose Baez, production manager, Gabriela Montequin. To hear new episodes of the show every Monday morning, subscribe now at rmwcommerce.com slash Watson Weekly and wherever you get your podcasts.